Hi, I'm Alicia Abendroth, and this is Tridge Agri Insider, your agri food for thought podcast where we talk about anything and everything agri food supply chain. Brought to you by Tridge. On today's episode of Agri Insider, Veselina Pincheva gives an interesting perspective on the power of data in the agri food industry. Coming from a background less seen in agriculture, Veselina sheds light on the way she leverages data in her role at Gulf Tech, a private capital firm that owns and operates seven companies across the food supply chain. Well, hi, Veselina. Thank you for joining Agri Insider today. Thank you, Alicia. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. So I thought let's start at the beginning um, of your kind of journey Agriculture. Maybe you can share with us what to agriculture and uh, did you find agriculture or did agriculture find you? Oh, that is a great question. Um, I guess I can say that agriculture found me. I'm very new to the agri uh, food agriculture space. It's funny. I actually told my family yesterday that I was doing this and they're like, wait, you're an agriculture expert? Like what? <laughs> uh, which is really, really funny. Um, I grew up in Bulgaria. You know, Bulgaria has 41% of its territory is agriculture land. But I didn't grow up in a farm. I grew up in the city. I never had access to a farm or that just wasn't really part of um, of my family, although there's a lot of Bulgarians that kind of have that house in the country. Um, I grew up, you know, in the city <laughs> and I still live in the city. Um, and I, you know, remember just going with my grandparents to pick apricots from our apricot tree and, and some land that we own, but it just wasn't really part of my life. And it wasn't something I was interested in. Honestly, I thought that agriculture, farming and everything just, it looked boring. And it was like, why would I want to be covered in dirt? <laughs> you know, and I hate saying that, but that's kind of like the first, when you hear agriculture, I think that's people's first response is that, you know, it's being on the farm, being covered in dirt. Um, and I developed my career and I started my career in, in marketing and in um, and data strategy. And then I got my master's in international relations and international finance um, and switched to consulting, built um, a career in consulting. And then about two years ago, actually, um, I started working with a company, um, my current company, um, that, you know, they had just acquired a new a new startup um, in the agriculture space. And I was tasked to kind of help with business development. And, and the uh, the topics were avocados, tomatoes, and broccoli. And I was like, oh, this is, you know, never really done research about avocados, <laughs> tomatoes, and broccoli. And um, and that's kind of the, the starting point. Um, and then I did a project um, where I had to size the market of sun-dried tomatoes. Again, not something that I ever thought I would have to be doing in my career. And slowly, I just realized how much I loved agriculture. I am such a huge foodie. Um, you know, I love to eat. I love checking out new restaurants, but I never really thought about where was my food coming from um, until I started on these projects. And then, you know, I continue to be interested in it and, you know, continue to kind of grow with the space. Um, so a lot of what we're going to talk about today, probably, I'm, I will by no means say that I'm an expert. <laughs> I'm still learning in this space since I've only been working in this space, um, you know, formally for the last two years. But I think it just shows how this is such, you know, if if this space can attract somebody like myself, <laughs> uh, then there's so much opportunity for, for others to enter into agriculture um, because it's just, it's so fascinating. And, and I know I'm, I'm sure we're going to get into some of uh, those dynamics throughout the conversation. <laughs> and yeah, no, as you're speaking, I just keep thinking this, this kind of phrase came to mind, dirt to data. Um, I, I think you've really gone through an evolution as an individual, right? kind of growing up in the city, experiencing life from a kind of very urban perspective and then moving within an urban setting, most likely. I don't, I don't know where you live now, but, um, you know, into this really important space of food and agri. Um, so I think it's an exciting evolution. And it's a, really the reason why I also wanted to have you on is to kind of showcase that 
agriculture doesn't have to just be dirt, right? <laughs> like okay. It can be the data, it can be the consulting, it can be, you know, optimization, it can be processes, it can be all these other really cool and analytical things. Um, uh, so yeah, we're definitely going to unpack that a bit further. Um, what I wanted to ask, so you kind of touched on it a bit um, in your in your last answer, but you had talked about being a foodie and looking at where your food come, comes from, right? Um, kind of discovering the supply chain, um, the background behind the food that we eat. Is that what you say your main passion still today for being in this industry or I guess staying in this industry, right? Because a woman like you would have many options. Um, is that a reason? Is that kind of your main passion driver um, at the moment? Or are there some other things that also move you in this industry? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I guess I'll, I'll just take a step back. And, um, and I touched a little bit about, you know, the fact that I studied international relations and international economics. It's something that I've studied my entire, um, you know, my entire professional degrees. You know, I had, I have a bachelor's in international relations and economics, and then a master's in the same topic. And I always wanted to do a career in, internet, something globally, right? I was like, I, every time somebody, you know, mentions an international country, my entire, you know, eyes peek up because I'm like, yes, let's talk about it. Cause it's just yeah. something that, I, that drives me, you know, I'm an international person. I grew up in another country. I love to travel. And I didn't, I, you know, I didn't put two and two together. And I know that sounds very naive, but food is the most international business there exists in this world. Um, and I think that is honestly what excites me and what and what drives my passion. Um, and it comes to the supply chain side of it. You know, how does food travel from, you know, we in the United States, we get a lot of our food from Mexico and Canada. But how does it travel from those countries into the United States? Um, there's a lot of economics and economic, you know, um, economics is such an important topic within food, because if a currency, um, you know, falls in one country that impacts your business drastically. So all the topics yeah. that I have studied and, you know, wanted to work and apply in, I, I wasn't getting that through definitely not in my career in marketing. Um, definitely, you know, a little bit um, at my career at Deloitte and, and working kind of in, in the government practice and then in management consulting as well. But it wasn't until I started working on these food projects that I realized the international component to it, right? The international space, but as well as how I get to flex every skill set that I have built up to this point within my current mm -hmm. career. And that is something that really excites me. That is something that I continue to be passionate about because each day I'm tested in a very different way. And I get to leverage so many of my skill sets. And that's kind of that's the background and and what right. I've that I've built for myself, I would think, because I've always been interested in so many topics. But this is the first time that I've had an industry where I get to apply all of those skill sets. And that to me is just so exciting. And, you know, and at the end of the day, I'm talking about food. Like who doesn't mm -hmm. want to talk about food in their job? When you're working with something that you inherently love, then you find even more passion with it. Absolutely. And your story and what you said really resonates with me. Uh, I don't, I, I kind of come from, I wouldn't say at all a similar background, very different background, but I went to Cornell um, and a lot of the people, you know, went off to consulting firms and they went and did really prestigious things. And I went over to agriculture and I kind of thought sometimes too, like, hmm, you know, what, what does it look like on the other side of the fence? So, you know, I would do some exploring and talking and looking and speaking with my friends from, from uni and seeing kind of what they've done. And I just, you know, it dawned on me a couple years ago that, you know, I've had a lifelong career in this industry, but it like it is the industry I want to be in because it does exactly what you said. It leverages all those skill sets. Um, you know, you have such a versatile view of the world, versatile kind of um, 
application of things you've learned in different parts of your life, right? It, it kind of harnesses the full picture of what makes Veselina Veselina. And yeah, so I, I really, that really resonates with me. And I think that's something I'd, I'd love to also, you know, drive home with the audience is that agriculture is very dynamic and it is, uh, you know, food and agri really, like you said, the supply chains are very dynamic and they actually can be really exciting. Um, so yeah, let's go over to golf tech. So you're working at golf tech at the moment. Um, maybe just tell us a bit about, you know, your title, you, how you got that job, what you do as a company, just a little bit about, um, the company and, and your role. Yeah, absolutely. So at Golf Tech, my title is Senior Manager of Strategy and Innovation, which is a lofty title <laughs> that uh, honestly means a lot of different things. Um, you know, just to back up, Golf Tech is um, a private capital firm. We own and operate seven operating companies across the food supply chain. And our companies are actually the world's recognized leaders in engineering, manufacturing, uh, sale and, and lease of, of equipment that are oftentimes used in food production and food processing companies. You've we're kind of the people behind the scenes. <laughs> we make the heavy machinery that is being used um, within food processing plants. And then we also um, have a couple additional um, companies within our portfolio that touch every aspect of the food global supply chain. Um, our newest acquisition is actually focused a little bit more in the front end um, on, you know, kind of the farming um, and, you know, farm to, to retail. Um, but we do, you know, we're in packing houses, we're in food processing, processing plants, you know, we are at, at the farm uh, as well. All of our products are there. Um, and, you know, at, with my role, the, the way that I got into the company is honestly, I, I, I fell into it. You know, I, I was introduced. I, I got lucky, I think, <laughs> um, because, you know, they approached my old manager um, uh, with a project. And, you know, and that's kind of how I started to learn more about the company. And as I was learning more about it, I just found how exciting it is because, you know, we operate in 85 different countries. We have customers in 85 different countries. We have, um, you know, we touch 55 commodities. Through it, I, I worked on a few projects and then I was kind of ready to leave consulting. You know, I was ready to, I was ready from bouncing off from project to project, industry to industry. And I really found a passion within this space. Um, and, you know, I kind of approached, um, you know, my, the client at the time, my client, not my bosses. And I was like, Hey, like, I really loved working with you. Um, you know, is there a potential opportunity? And, you know, their immediate response was like, no, but let's keep talking. And then, you know, they were able to create this position for me because they recognized that I think they recognized that I brought that I brought an interesting and unique uh, skill set, and I was very excited about it because honestly, this was my favorite client that I've worked with. I've you know up to this point in my career, I've been in a client facing environment from advertising to then consulting, um, and all the clients that I've enjoyed working with were all food clients. Uh, so it was just, um, and, and in my role currently, I work on different strategic projects across our portfolio of companies, really focusing on um, the, the two newest acquisitions within our portfolio um, and, you know, really helping them devise strategies for how to continue to grow. Um, so I get to use, you know, the, um, the, the growth toolkit that I uh, built uh, in my previous uh, position to really, and I'm applying it to our, our companies and really helping them, um, you know, size markets, really helping them, you know, understand where the opportunities for growth are. Um, and then also, you know, focusing on a few more tactical, uh, you know, how to run a business. That's something new to me. I've, you know, from a consulting perspective, you usually work on the strategy and, you know, and, and the analytics and the research. But now I also get to dive into some of the tactical day-to-day -day components of running a business. And, and, um, as I said, it's it's such a dynamic role and it fits my personality and my background really well because I get to, you know, flex so many different skill sets. 
That's wonderful. Um, I would love to learn a bit more about the two newest acquisitions and kind of what they do and, and give people in the audience a bit of a flavor of the type of projects that Golf Tech is involved in. Because you had said food processing, you you know, there's a, a mm -hmm. bunch of different companies in that portfolio, but maybe the two that you're most intimately involved in, you could just shed some light on, on kind of what they do and, and what projects you're working on specifically. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'll probably focus most of my, you know, our time together today on, on kind of um, our, our newest acquisition, which is a startup in the post-harvest food space. And they developed um, a unique way of applying um, a... Uh, a chemical that has been used within uh, it's not a chemical actually it's 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 a it's a compound i guess that has been used in the um food uh agriculture post-harvest space um for the last you know 20 25 years to extend the shelf life of fruits and vegetables and our the um our company actually developed a unique way of, of how they apply it um where it's applied on a um on a sheet and then it's placed within a box of fruit and vegetables and what it does is that the um the the component um it's called one mcp it's been used in the apple industry for the last you know like i said 25 years that's why we see so many different of apple varieties all year round on the market um and you know what we do is we've actually um, figured out a way to release it um, more slowly. Um, so it actually works better on different commodities outside of apples, which have a smaller shelf life. So for instance, tomatoes and cucumbers, um, where, you know, they're, they uh, end up ripening much faster and, and they're way more, um, sensitive to ethylene, um, and especially tomatoes, cucumbers, a little, the physiology is a little bit different. And I can't really speak to that because I'm not a scientist. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, uh, so right now what we're, you know, the, my project with the company is really helping them grow, really finding opportunities for growth, kind of understanding the markets in which they, um, you know, th that they operate. And so, you know, my job is to learn and to be, SME in the tomato and cucumber market, as well as working with our product team in order to kind of build that expertise um, and and bring that for and interact and build that for the rest of the organization. Um, so it's very fascinating because we're working in the fresh produce space um, where you know information is not equally available for all kind of for all commodities that we operate in, which I think we're going to get into yeah. in a little bit as well. Um, but so that's one company. And then for the other company, um, it is um, they're a leader in building machinery for uh, for processing fresh fruit. Hmm. So they can do everything from cutting um, a cutting of uh, an a fruit or a, a basically a fruit, they can peel it, everything. So let's, so a couple examples that, you know, we can give apples is obviously a, a really good one. Um, but watermelons, we developed a machine for how to actually cut the watermelons into small chunks um, that are then, you know, packaged and sold onto the retail. Um, we have a mango uh, peeler machine. We have, um, a papaya, uh, you know, uh, cutting machine. We have a pineapple. Pineapple is a very interesting one as well because it's such a tough fruit. And our machines actually can get um, more yield than the next than our competitors, as well as than from from actually doing it by hand. Um, most of these uh, fruits and fruits are actually processed around the world by hand, mm -hmm. um, and you lose a lot of yield when you do it by hand. It's a very cumbersome process, and when you lose, you know. 40, 50, 60% of the fruit, that not only equates to more waste <laughs> into the supply chain, right? But it also equates to less product that you can actually sell on the market. And that is really what our machineries um, and the the geniusness of, 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 the, um, of the engineering um, that is within this company, they've really figured out how to 
make um, this beautiful equipment uh, that can get higher yields. Um, so um, in, in my role there, I am helping them with their sales structure and their sales strategy um, in very specifically, you know, identifying um, new markets for where they can grow, kind of sizing that market um, and, you know, and learning um, where are their opportunities around the world for this type of, for their equipment. Wonderful. Um, so here at Tridge, we also do a lot with the produce space and it is, mm -hmm. I've, you know, I, I, I would argue, and maybe I'm slightly biased also because I come from a fruit farming background. Um, one of the most dynamic and, and exciting uh, industries, sometimes not for the better, <laughs> I think sometimes too exciting, right? I mean, you're dealing with perishable goods. Um, yes. but it's extremely fascinating. Uh, it's extremely fascinating business. And you kind of touched on this. It's also one of the least mechanized businesses. So it's a really interesting dynamic that, you know, golf tech has a portfolio of different manufacturers and kind of mech, um, factory or, or I guess, um, machinery providers for processing fruit, right. Uh, in an mm -hmm. industry that is historically quite, um, well, and even today, not even just historically, quite manual labor driven. In fact, one I had a wonderful conversation with one of the companies, Atlas Specific, and he told me, yeah. one of the, the, the um, team members there told me that the kind of green part in a strawberry is actually removed by hand. That is still the industry standard. Um, and I know there's been some work on, on mechanizing that. But the point is just that, you know, we all eat frozen goods or frozen strawberries or whatever, right? But no one actually thinks that there's a literal hand labor. Go I mean, packing apples, the same thing. Very few people are actually mechanizing that or, you know, now there's robotics coming in, but mechanizing the process of putting an apple into a box, right? So it's it's a really fascinating industry. And, and I, um, so just to clarify, Golf Tech is only produce then uh, in the produce space or they have other portfo portfolios too? Primarily in the fresh produce space, we do have one of our companies that is in tuna manufacturing, oh, okay. but um, it, it is a little bit outside of kind of, it's still, um, it's the same type of, um, you know, leasing model as, as some of our other companies. So there is, there is a lot of synergies there. Um, but I will say that, you know, primarily, and at least the businesses that I touch are primarily in the food space. Cool. In no, the but space, not the food. I mean, tuna is also food. Right. But in the produce, the fresh produce space. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, no, re really cool. And, and uh, it's exciting, too, that you guys are bringing startups into this as well. I think there's a lot of startups out there that um, could use good partners and also support from people like you who have these unique skill sets, this background in consulting, um, you know, who've actually looked, like you said, at devising strategies identifying opportunities. I mean, you've done this for years and now you're helping actually startups who, you know, you speak to them and some people are like, we have no idea what we're, how we're going to go to market. We just have a cool product. Right. And I think, um, your input there must be super valued. So maybe you could shed some light. So, you know, you worked at Deloitte, um, you know, you have mm -hmm. the strong consulting background, you've touched on your journey, but digging into some of those actual skill sets that you've acquired over your career. And you mentioned this, right? What are some of the previous experiences or previous skill sets that you've developed that you really apply um, in your role today? Yeah, absolutely. I think that the skill set that I most value from my consulting experience is just the rigor in how we think through and solve problems and frame solutions. I think that is um, a a very undervalued skill set sometimes <laughs> of how to be able to frame solutions um, and frame a problem, um, you know, in a simple approach that everybody across the entire organization can understand, um, as well as the rigor and analytics that we go into to kind of solve those, solve the problems. Um, and, you know, to give you an example, um, you know, one of the one of the things that I that I learned in my last job, especially when I when I really build in my strategy consulting toolkit, is you know um, uh, you know all of these common frameworks that are used in order to solve problems. One of the ones that we talked about all the time is you know where to play and how to win to kind of help frame the growth opportunities in a company. And when you frame it that way, it kind of breaks down the analysis very 
um, very simply, right? You you kind of focus on where to play. So, you know, what are your markets? What's your addressable market? Um, you know, kind of breaking down the part, the, the, um, the problem into pieces that you can actually then solve. Um, we oftentimes, you know, another way to kind of talk about this is the hypothesis driven approach, right? It's like you have a hypothesis and then you're kind of framing it and breaking down the, um, the problem, uh, in, in chunks that you're, that you're feeding back into that, that overall hypothesis that you form within the, the industry. Um, and, you know, so kind of on that case, right, that framework where to play. So, right, you're talking about your addressable market, you're talking about your customers, and then how to win. It's, you know, what's your go-to-market strategy? How do you talk to those customers? Where are you actually going to win the most with those customers? Um, what are the products you're going to be selling? Kind of what are, um, what's your value proposition? What's your marketing message? And that has really helped me, um, especially working with a company that is commercializing a new product um, because it actually provides that underlying framework that everybody can go back to and understand and, you know, and, and have that common language um, for what is all this information that we're collecting from the industry and from our sales conversations and whatnot. Where does that feed back to? When you have that framework or that hypothesis, right, you can always feed all that information back to that underlying hypothesis. And that is really something that I think is, um, is a skill set that is especially taught in consulting, because that's how you solve projects. And that's how you do projects in a very short period of time. I mean, think about a strategy consulting project is usually six to eight weeks. Like, and and you have to learn a new industry. You have to, uh, oftentimes you have to learn a new industry. You oftentimes have to learn the client. You have to learn their competitors. You have to learn everything about them and also solve a specific question or problem that they have in a six to eight week period. Mm -hmm. That's not easy to do. <laughs> um, and there is, you know, th there's so much rigor to it and so much, um, you know, uh, just the way that we approach kind of solving those problems in that short period of time. I think that skill set is just so, one that I continue to hone. I, you know, I can't say that I'm an expert, like that I've, you know, uh, mastered it, that I'm an expert on it, right. That I've managed it, but I don't think anybody is in consulting. I think that's why people stay in consulting is because they're so excited and challenged by that. And, and they're, and they love, you know, applying lessons learned from other industries right. to kind of solve new problems and kind of building on, on top of that toolkit. And I'm just excited that I have uh, I have a foundation of that. And now I get to apply it within a specific industry, really dive into it, but also learn from the expertise and the, the knowledge that exists within the agri-food industry, because there are so many smart individuals within that have been solving problems and that have been working in this space for such a long time that, you know, combining that knowledge, but maybe offering a different perspective on how to analyze a problem or how to use data to kind of solve the problem or, or bring, you know, a little bit value uh, through data, through that equation. That's something that I, you know, that's kind of where I see my space and my, my role within this and where, and kind of the, the, honestly, the, the role that I've been trying to play within our, within our portfolio. I love that. No, it's, it's extremely interesting. And I also liked what you said about perspective and kind of cross industry perspective. I think one thing that we see in agriculture is, you know, a lot of people are born into it. They stay in it. They don't venture out of it. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think loyalty to the industry is extremely important. And for a lot of reasons, especially at the farming level, there's just certain things that get passed down generationally that, you know, are, are extremely important. But I think, you know, at the same time, having another perspective, if it's the tech perspective, the consulting perspective, the marketing perspective, the corporate perspective, right? Bringing in you know, other industries even, right? Leaving agriculture, maybe going to oil or going to, um, you know, again, tech, computer, IT, any of these other industries, you learn little bits and bobs and you can bring back new ways of working to agriculture, right? So I think it's extremely interesting to kind of foster a bit of a, a wider ecosystem and actually widen the, the view a little bit and, and bring in some other perspectives, which I think you absolutely do through your consulting background and through the back, unique background you've had. 
so you mentioned quite a few times while you were speaking the word information, right? Um, and I mm -hmm. think you're somebody, and just based on conversations we've had in the past as well, who loves data and who loves information and you're using it, as I understood, to solve these hypotheses that I'm guessing these hypotheses you're kind of setting out for yourself, right? You you make a, Correct. Right, like a research statement and then you go off and you find yeah. this data to solve this research statement. Um, maybe can you can you shed a bit of light on how that that workflow is for you? So, you know, you're using data and intelligence in your work, um, but how do you get that data? How are you processing that data? I mean, what what does all that data mean to you? Yeah, oh, that's a that's a lofty question. Um, so if I back up data right now, it's it's such a buzzword. Everybody loves data, right? Everybody says, I want the data. I want to see the data. Why is that? You know, obviously it's because when you give a data point, right, there is, it, it provides more value to it. It kind of provides that signal to the industry of kind of the magnitude of what you're talking about. Um, you know, I talked about, you know, I talked about our company and I said, you know, we're in the food manufacturing space. But if I tell you that, you know, it's that we've estimated that in every grocery cart in the U.S., there's greater than a 70 percent chance that a Gulf Tech Group company helped to produce at least one item in that cart, that gives you a much different perspective, right? It kind of, it, it provides a little bit of that magnitude as well as, you know, if we say 85 countries, we're operating in 85 countries and, you know, and we process over 55 commodities, you know, that data not only helps you quantify our impact, but it provides kind of a signal to the size of our company and then the fat, the impact that we have on the industry. Um, and those data points that I just mentioned are not always very easy to gather <laughs> uh, because they're not, you know, in this case, we obviously can leverage our primary data, our internal data to kind of, um, you know, summarize that. Um, but it's not that easy to do that in the fresh produce space um, because the the market is very fragmented. There are, um, you know, there isn't that very, it's not like I can go to one data source and get, you know, from field to how much, you know, is planted to how much is actually being produced to how much actually ends up being packed to how much it ends up being, you know, uh, put gone to retail versus processing companies versus food. So, you know, food uh, services to then how much is being consumed at on the consumer level for or let's call it cucumbers or tomatoes, right? All of that data is very disparate. And you oftentimes have to actually go to many different resources to kind of correlate it and, and collect it. And at different points in our supply chain, um, I've, I've learned through the last couple of years of working in this industry, there are different, you know, uh, quantities of the information that is available. <laughs> um, and when you're trying to kind of talk about what is the market for tomatoes look like, right? When, and you kind of have like such a large picture or, you know, you talk about what is your addressable market, um, you kind of have to take, you know, a step back and say, okay, what am I talking about, right? Like, am I talking about it at the front end? Am I talking about how much is actually being harvested? Am I actually talking about how much is being sold to retail? And then where am I going to get that information? Um, so for me, um, my process has always been to kind of distill it down into what point in the supply chain am I talking about? And kind of where can I start to source that information? I think I've become very adept at at understanding where different sources of inf sources of truth exist within the industry. Um, there are a lot of um, multinational organizations like FAO that um, actually have um, this information readily available. Tridge, uh, you know, also leverages FAO's data. That's kind of become the industry standard on production data. Um, but, you know, that data doesn't always tell us the information we need. It kind of gives us a picture only from the top, right? Just total production, um, you know, in the world. It doesn't break it down into how much is sold into retail. It doesn't answer some of these other questions. And it also doesn't 
oftentimes get to the level of details that we need. You know, for me, I, I work a lot on the variety level, right? Tomatoes, there is hundreds of tomato varieties. Cucumbers, there is, you know, five or six primary, you know, variety levels. And I can't just Google that. <laughs> I've tried, right. trust me. I've tried doing it. I've tried using ChatGPT. It doesn't work. <laughs> um, and, you know, what you have to do is you kind of have to be creative and kind of dig into and read a lot um, and, you know, and uh, source information from either insight reports where they kind of have one little data point that's hidden in five paragraphs of text, but, you know, you kind of skim through it and then you can kind of extract that data point and say, yes, this is a, this is a, a good data point that I can use. Then you have to take that data point and transfer it somewhere. Usually it's in Excel, right? And you then have to figure out how are you going to apply that to, you know, uh, that to a larger data set, like your production data worldwide. Um, and you have to make a lot of assumptions. You have to make a lot of educated assumptions of how do you actually use that? And, you know, how do you actually uh, then break it down into... Right. And, and have some of that prediction for uh, into the future as well. Um, so it's, you know, you talked about the process that I follow and um, I don't know if I have an exact process <laughs> to be frank, but I do, you know, I, I do take a very structured approach as to how I analyze problems. I usually like to take a very large data set and then I use other smaller, um, you know, data points to be able to manipulate that data set. Um, and to me, it's really important to have one source of truth. It's really important for me to, to have documented your sources that it, afterwards, if you want to go back yeah. and kind of re, you know, uh, and, and look at where you got that information or, um, actually, you know, uh, the word I'm looking for is defend, I guess, your, you know, you, the analysis, you can actually point to kind of where it, where it is and how you broke that information. Because that's really important is that traceability uh, through your analysis of how did you actually come to that conclusion. And you have to do it in a very simple manner. You can't spend an hour explaining how you solve that problem. Trust me, I did that earlier on in my career. I think everybody does that <laughs> because when you're starting in analytics or in data, you know, you really want to talk about the process that you kind of took to, to get to that answer. And a lot of people don't care about that process, right? They just want to make sure that you took an, a, a, systematic approach to kind of solving the problem that is based in truth. That's really important mm -hmm. and that it has value at the end of it. Um, so, um, to me, that's, that's, those are the kind of the word, the, the things that I look for as I'm kind of solving these problems and, and structuring my data. So from a workflow perspective, I think in like the last 15 minutes of our conversation, I've kind of followed it and it's creating a hypothesis, gathering the information, the raw data. You're using a couple different sources. You mentioned FAO. I hope Tridge is in there too. You know, yes, it is. <laughs> great. Um, and you know, you gather this data, and you said you're using even some research papers. So probably you're leveraging like universities and things like this as well that are publishing some data, uh, and you're starting to create almost like a story, right? So I mean, like you said, it has to be founded in truth. We don't want to create misinformation, but you're starting to kind of um, craft a story that maybe, you know, affirms or denies or hypothesis. So this sounds a lot of, like a lot of research I did in university, to be honest. <laughs> it does. It really does. But the difference I think is that in, um, in university, and I've done a lot of research papers, right? Yeah. It's you, you do that and then you stop, right? right? Because you don't, you then don't quantify the impact it has in the business. So the thing about this is this is a lot of upfront stuff that you have to do in order to solve the problem. But then you have to figure out how does this data point impact my business? Yeah. Can I make a decision about, you know, investing in a specific technology to help me grow can, using that data point? Can I invest in which market I'm going to go after, right? And it's these data points honestly help us determine where to spend our energy as a company and where to spend, you know, our energy as individuals as well within a company. Um, because if, if you're not 
Otherwise, if you don't have that, it's just a lot, a lot of noise, right? And and what data kind of helps you provide is a signal of the direction that you want to be going in. Um, you know, within a research paper, right? We can the 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 output of a research paper is the market is ten million, right? Okay, but so what? Right. And that's the thing that in consulting that you have to ask yourself. Right. It's like that's So what? Because you have to bring those insights and you have to bring that back to the business. So what? Why do I care? What is the value in this? You know, what decision am I asking my senior executive leaders to make based on this information? Um, and that is a that's really important um, as we're kind of using that using data and kind of doing the analysis is bringing it back to the so what and actually taking that analysis to the end because you have to say so what okay because if you do go invest in this market you're going to grow by 20% you're going to impact 30 million people you're going to be able to bring you know a new product from a you know uh, to market in a different country that might um actually need that you know that commodity or, or that product, right? You have to kind of get it down to that level for it to have impact. And, you know, one of the things that I've, I've noticed within the agriculture space is that because data isn't used in that format to kind of draw out that value and, try, and tell the full story, that oftentimes people underestimate the power the data can have, right? And, um, and because it is so disparate and it takes so much time to kind of structure it in order to be able to tell that story, that we don't spend enough time investing in in, in getting more information, right. And investing in, in kind of, in, in structuring the information in a, um, in a way that is easier to handle because nobody should have to go into 20 different stories to be able to <laughs> correlate all of that information. You would want to download a data sheet, right? That's kind of what everybody thinks about data is that there is a simple data sheet that you download, you put into Excel or you put into Python or you put into another, you know, uh, System software like that, and then you just have to write a couple formulas, and then boom, that's your answer. Right. That is oftentimes not the case. <laughs> I really, I had to smile while you were speaking because I just had a recent, recently, I had a conversation with my aunt who is a um, professor and was formerly a dean for a business university in the United States, and she just taught me this principle of the what, so what, now what, and you kept saying, yeah. you know, the so what is so important. And it kind of, I had a small epiphany because I realized a lot of what universities typically do is they kind of get stuck on the what, but they don't actually address the so what and the now what. Uh, and I think that's a really cool um, bit that you highlighted there where, you know, you get to take some of that research, that learning of the what and apply it into the so what, now what in a business sense. Uh, and that you get to do that, you know, for startups and traditional businesses all across the, the kind of supply and value chain. I think that's that's super, um, super neat. And I really think, it, I like what you said about, um, no worries. I like what you said about it. You know, you're taking the research and you're translating it to the business. One thing I would say though, so, you know, you said people underestimate the power of data uh, in agriculture. Um, you know, I think one big barrier to it is, is partially, there's just so many data points you could assess and it's hard to always know, okay, well, which one will actually drive impact to my business, right? Uh, I think about farming. I mean, if you really wanted to do it through this new buzzword of precision agriculture, right? You could be getting data points from irrigation, sunlight, temperature, uh, rainfall, right? And it's just so much, like you said, it noise that it can almost feel overwhelming and daunting. You say, oh, well, let me just go back to my gut feeling, right? That's helped me so far. Mm -hmm. And I think we are in this kind of time of change, but you know, what are your thoughts around um, data fatigue. I think, you know, too much data, too much getting buried in the mass of numbers and not being able to make sense of it all. Yeah, I talked about that pretty recently, um, actually, with a colleague. And data fatigue is definitely a thing because data is such a buzzword, right? We all talk about data, we all want to have a lot of data points. And then you get the data and you're like, what do I do with this? <laughs> right? This is too much information to process. I don't actually understand, you know, as you were saying, kind of what to do with this type of information. I think this is where having that industry knowledge, having that 
perspective on the problem you're trying to solve and that kind of framing um, that, you know, that I've been able to kind of build within, you know, consulting is that you start to understand how to parse out that's the signal and the, you know, the signal versus the noise, right? And and you kind of mm. almost overcome that data fatigue barrier because you're using data to fundamentally to solve a specific problem, right? You have a purpose with what to use with that data. If you don't have purpose and you're just consuming data, that doesn't, it's, there you're missing that so what right like you're you're missing that end point and you're just kind of absorbing absorbing information and you're not using it to end up having an impact with it mm-hmm. um that is why it is just so important to know what you're using that information to do because if you don't and if you don't have that purpose then you're not going to be able then you're always going to be in that data fatigue mode because you're just consuming too much information. And we are, we're constantly consuming information in both our personal lives and in our business lives. So you kind of have to, you have to do it for yourself, honestly, and say, you know, why am I using this information, right? Why am I reading this? Why do I care about this data point? And oftentimes the answer is, so I can understand how to sell to my customer so I can understand how to enter this market, right? So I can understand how to, um, you know, uh, where where the opportunities are for, uh, for building a new facility, for instance, right? All of these are data points that can actually kind of lead back to that impact, right? And that that's so what, but you have to have purpose. Otherwise, you're always going to be in this data fatigue mode. So the why is super critical. Um, and I and I like that you kind of said define define what you're actually using the data for, not just have it for the sake of having it. Um, which leads me to my next question. Is there any advice? You know, you have a really unique perspective, you have all these workflows and and kind of experiences across industries. Is there any uh, advice you would give the industry? <laughs> yes, I would. Um, I the, the industry as a whole. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yes, you can narrow it down if you need to. No, it's it's funny. Um, I think the advice that I would give is for us to start using data more. And I know we just talked about data fatigue, right? But to kind of showcase the value of data. So let me give you an example. Mini cucumbers. Mini cucumbers have grown by 25% in retail over the last year. Consumers love mini cucumbers, the little baby cucumbers and the little purging cucumbers because they're easier to eat. They're a little bit crunchier and they're also, um, you know, more flavorful. These are, I, this is not from a consumer study that I've done. This is only from my own experience. Um, but if I go to a cucumber farmer in, um, in Mexico and I say, I want you to grow more mini cucumbers because, uh, you know, you And they're going to be like, why? Why am I doing this? Right. But if you say, I want to grow this because there is a surge in consumer demand, the category has grown by 25% in the last year. Retailers love cucumbers. You're actually going to be able to get paid more because you're because there is a demand and and the uh and consumers want it more. So retailers wanted more. So they're actually going to pay you slightly more than what than you growing your traditional cucumber. So we want you to end up, you know, uh, investing more into this product. That actually helps them define that purpose, right? So, and it provides that value and that information. So what I would say is I would, I would challenge the industry to start using that type of, those type of insights more when having conversations, because we oftentimes don't, and we also don't teach the farmers on the other hand of how to actually position and and how to use those insights to sell to, to, you know, other customers either, because that skill set doesn't actually inherently exist within that industry, um, within that part of the industry. Um, so, you know, when we talk, when we start actually talking about these data points and when people want to consume that type of information, then you kind of signal the value into that information, as well as you start to start investing in that skill set, right? Um, and it kind of has this, 
you know, this, this effect, um, where I, people start to want more, more of that information, they start investing in it, we actually start to, to invest in the infrastructure of building more data. That's really important. That's something that's really missing within the agriculture space. It's starting to at this point in time, because of companies like Tridge and others that are actually coming onto the market and investing in, in structuring data, um, and, and kind of bringing more of these insights. But if we, if we start to, and we have, I'm not saying, and by we, again, I'm still too new to the space to be able to say, you know, we, but um, it, that's, if, if, if the industry starts using these data insights and, um, and kind of teaching, you know, everybody across the entire supply chain, why this information is important to make decisions, then I think we're going to end up actually uh, investing more in, uh, in collecting the information, more in structuring the information across all commodities, not just the ones that are, um, that are very popular where there are, you know, there's already existing information on. And it's a really good point you're raising, and it kind of comes back full circle to what you said about, you know, data can be power, data empowerment through data, right? And I think that's one thing that we try to do at Tridge as well, is take these massive pools of data and make them easy to use, accessible, um, digestible, right? So that we can start empowering the industry. But, you know, not a lot of people get that impact yet, right? They haven't seen enough case studies yet. They haven't had enough positive experiences yet where data has actually solved things for them. And I feel, you know, ab absolutely, it resonates with me what you said about, you know, changing the narrative around, oh, it's just data or, or we're just doing this to do something, but actually putting thought into the why, asking, you know, asking yourself the why, why do I need to change? Why do I need this data? And what impact could it have, right? So a lot of really interesting points. And I think that is great advice to the industry. I mean, having been in it my whole life. It's absolutely something I see that I, I would like to see, especially at the farm level, people more empowered to actually negotiate, more empowered to make smarter decisions because you are working on extremely tight margins, right? Uh, this isn't yeah. the uh, the massive profitable, profitable business um, that some people think it is, right? Uh, it's a very asset rich industry. You know, you're not dealing always with huge, huge profit margins um, and there's a lot of risk affiliated. So having some real insights into improving your business. Um, yeah, they're absolutely I think they need to become more available. Um, yeah. And I and I think honestly, that level that until, you know, that level, that lack of transparency has also profited the business, right? Because, Absolutely. you know, people do try to actually hide that type of information because they, because you are trying to differentiate from your neighbor next door, right? And you're trying to get a higher price than your neighbor next door. Otherwise, you know, you're hurting. So it, data, yes, is it can be very, very powerful and it can enable a lot of good within the industry um, and in a, a, a push towards, you know, towards more growth, potentially towards, again, more transparency. But we also have to ask ourselves, you know, does the industry want that, right? Because there is that level of, uh, like I said, there, there, it's been used for the advantage of other right. players with, within the industry. But, you know, when I think about data and, and the, the, the value that it, you know, that I would like to bring to it is I would love to start, you know, for people to care about where does my food come from? How does it move throughout the supply chain? How does it get to the retailer? You know, I would like to start asking those questions and have more transparency across the flow of goods, because then when you, when you have that transparency, you can actually make better decisions of maybe we shouldn't be sourcing from, you know, 2000 miles from, you know, uh, from here, maybe there's an opportunity for us to create more efficient, you know, uh, ways, or maybe there's a way for us to apply our product to basically enable the flow of goods in a more efficient manner than it has been in the past. But we can't do that, right? We can't draw those correlations. We can't, you know, provide those insights to our customers unless we can track the back end, the, right. the actual supply chain and say, if you, if you put our product, right, that extends your shelf life, you can actually get this tomato that is a little bit riper that you haven't been sourcing from because by the time it gets to your shelf, it has disintegrated because, you know, it doesn't have enough, you know, enough days across the supply chain, but now you can do that by using our product. Right. And that's, those are the types of, um, honestly, of, 
of insights and of why I want people, why I want us to invest more into data, because I want to have access to that type of information to help, you know, tell a better story about my product, about my business and about how my business can solve solutions that you might not have been even thinking about because you've been, you know, under this business as usual type environment. Right. No. And and I think um, you, you mentioned a lot of good points there. I mean, data can be weaponized and there has been a lot of profiteering through the data asymmetry. So, you know, as much as we think, oh, this might just be a simple conversation about data, uh, you know, there are people out there who would also, like you said, block that transition for various reasons um, into, let's say, a very information free space within agriculture. So it's an interesting time. And I think there's definitely it's it's a trend that we don't think about quite as much. But this uh, evolution of data and agri food um, is definitely an exciting trend. One last kind of question I wanted to ask drawing the scope, maybe a bit bigger picture and, and stepping even aside from the data. Um, are there any trends in agri food that you've noticed since being in this industry that also gets you excited? So, you know, we've talked about data, but maybe there's anything that um, has you particularly excited or maybe there's something that also particularly concerns you. I mean, I think a lot of people step into this industry and they go, oh, my gosh, this is not at all how I thought my food was being produced. I thought it was coming from, I don't know, little farmer John down the road. He was just picking his <laughs> apples and bringing them to the store. Right. Like. People sometimes don't realize the the um, the complexities in the in the supply chain. So, uh, I guess this is a two pronged question. What trends have you excited, and and what did you kind of realize when you in this industry? Well, let me start maybe with excited. We, you always want to end in a positive, right? So, like maybe I'll start with something that's an issue that kind of concerns me, and then I can I can go to something that excites me. Um, one of the things that concerns me is just overproduction, and um, you know, in general, and just you know what do we do with that overproduction? It's not across all commodities, but there is that, um, that is a topic, you know, there is, uh, we overproduce lemons, for instance, and what happens with that overproduction, we end up destroying that crop. And that is hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars down the drain. Um, but it's also waste. It's also, you know, not, uh, uh it's it's a it's a drainage of resources of land that can be otherwise used to produce something different. Um, you know, Forbes just came up with an article today uh, or yesterday about um, how the French government is paying farmers to sell you know their grape surplus or actually to you know shrink their vineyards because um, there is a, uh, a you know demand for French wine has gone down. Like this overproduction because you know what happened is there was a trend right that ended up and, and asking us to produce more of that good. And then we produced too much of that good because we became really efficient and whatnot. And now we have to draw back and cut and reduce that production. That to me, that is, that's an issue that I, um, concerns me. And I do think if we can get better at predicting kind of those consumer trends, again, I don't want to bring it back to data, but data is a, a really good <laughs> you can. case. Here. Yes, it's a good, good case here of, of kind of helping us, you know, predict that a little bit earlier on, if you have access to more of that information, or you start to collect that information, because maybe you would actually stop to, um, you know, you can curb that overproduction. Usually data comes, uh, one of my, um, one of the CEOs of our company told me recently that, you know, data only is, is always kind of uh, tells a picture of what has already happened. <laughs> um, so it's a little bit more, you know, um, lagging than reality. Um, so in this case, you know, it, it, this is a case where data can help us in the future, but not to solve the issue that it is today with, with that overproduction problem. Um, something that excites me about the agriculture space is just the company, you know, organizations and conversations in, that are happening um, across multiple uh, different stakeholders across the food supply chain. So for instance, um, I recently went to Refed um, to their food waste conference uh, that they hosted in St. Louis back in May. And I was just so, it was one of the first, it's the first time that I've actually, um, you know, attended s such an event. Cool. And what I was so excited about was that there were stakeholders from 
all groups and industries. There were government stakeholders. There were, you know, business stakeholders like myself. There were farmers. There were supply chain. There were retailers. Everybody across the supply chain. And we were there to talk about food waste. And we were there to talk about a very specific, you know, topic. And, and Refed has done a good job of actually providing an environment and providing a, uh, a place for these conversations to happen. And I've actually am seeing more of that, um, where, you know, if we can bring people from all, you know, all facets of the supply chain together to kind of solve a solution, it's not going to be solved food waste is an example, right? That that problem isn't going to be solved by one stakeholder alone, right? We're not going to uh, solve climate change with one stakeholder, right? We need to create these communities where uh, and these uh, areas where multiple stakeholders that have a stake in the game can cross-pollinate ideas, can come up with those solutions. And just being in that type of environment was so energizing. And I just left you know, uh, that my time in St. Louis, just feeling so energized and empowered and excited to be part of this community and to be, you know, just one little, you know, dot within the, within the industry, but kind of, that we're all working towards something. And we all have a common, some of us have a common goal that we can actually solve from different areas. So that, that's really, um, you know, it's something that I, am looking forward to participating in those type of conversations more as I'm with, you know, as I grow within this industry, um, because I think there's just so much power in, in bringing these type of, you know, people together and, and especially from different industries and different perspectives. Absolutely. And I think that plays back to kind of also the theme of our conversation today, which is that cross pollination from different perspectives and different industries mm -hmm. and, you know, coming together to solve some of these problems. Like you said, overproduction. I think that is a great topic. And I would almost love to do a whole other podcast with you on overproduction and overproduction data. Because <laughs> there are many other experts that are much better equipped of talking about topic, that. You know, it's, yes. it's, it's a great topic because absolutely supply and demand have been, um, you know, slightly taken out of its natural homeostasis in agriculture. And it's sometimes we don't catch up with supply and demand cycles as quickly just due to the nature of the business, right? You plant a tree, it takes five years to become productive. How do you react to market changes with that kind of slow pace um, shift? So did you have any aha moments upon stepping into the agri-food world, especially being that you came from a non-traditional agri background? Yeah, um, I think that aha moment that I had is when I attended Fruit Logistica in Berlin earlier this year. And I realized just how global this industry is. Um, Fruit Logistica was that was that honestly that experience made me fall in love with um, the the agri food uh, business industry. And after that experience, I said I am never leaving. And the reason why is because you go it's in Berlin. You go into this really the Berlin Conference Center, and um, every hall is actually organized by country and by and um and by continent and you actually see globalization happen in real life. I've been studying globalization and international affairs my entire, you know, professional educational, you know, I have a master's and and, and a bachelor's and I have never seen it happen in real life the way that I saw it at Fruit Logistica. And it's just, you know, it was so cool. To, and and you could see the cultures being represented and you just really saw how global and how and just the culture of food, it was just represented in those halls. Um, you know, you walk into the to the South America hall and it's and it's buzzing and everybody there is, you know, it, it was just it was just one of those things where um, seeing seeing that that in real life um, was really my my aha moment that this is the industry that I belong in. And this is the industry that I think is so exciting and so much opportunity. And, you know, we talk about that culture, food equals culture and, or culture equals food, right? You can understand the, the culture of, of a, uh, of, of a country through its food. Um, and there is so much truth in that. And, and if you're fascinated in this, in those type of topics, then this is definitely the industry <laughs> for you. Like I have found it to be the industry for me. <laughs> 
I've been to Fruit Logistica several times and I never really looked at it through that lens, but you're absolutely right. It is like a snapshot of globalization at play. I mean, it's the modern world we're living in. It's the way we feed ourselves now because yeah, it is like a melting pot on steroids. Yes, <laughs> it is. So I, I really like that point and, it, and I'm glad that, that it keeps you here in the industry. Well, I hope to see you at Free Logistica next time. <laughs> yes, great. <laughs> any final words you'd like to uh, share with the audience? Any kind of last things that are on your on your heart? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, throughout this this conversation, I thank you again for inviting me. I, I definitely um, don't want to categorize myself as an expert in this, you know, because I, I'm not right. I'm still growing within this space. I'm still kind of learning, you know, kind of what all the parts are. And I'm still kind of finding, you know, my voice and my platform, you know, within, within this space. But one of the final words kind of that I would have for the audience is um, be resourceful and be curious. That is something that I think that I have brought to any, experience into any career that I've, you know, had is being and being resourceful doesn't just mean finding, you know, uh, doesn't always just mean just like knowing where to Google a, a certain information, right? It's using people and within your network using, you know, events, like I said, you know, like a conference or others to find answers and, and to kind of and, and figure out how to use all of that in all the people and information that are available to you to help you within to solve a problem. Cause we're not in it alone, honestly. Like that's the other, that's the big part about all this is we're all facing similar issues and we just need to kind of step outside of our comfort zone and ask for, you know, for, for help sometimes and, and to be kind of resourceful as to kind of how we solve, um, how we solve problems and how we come together um, to, you know, to tackle some of these big issues like overproduction, like food waste, like, you know, um, climate change and so forth. So um, I think that's kind of what I would say is, is my words of wisdom. I don't know if it's really that much wisdom, but it is something that I definitely uh, have been thinking more about and, 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 and a, an advice that I always give to anybody just starting out their career or, you know, uh, if, anybody that is even further down in their career of, of, and are just looking for a new perspective on how to solve a problem or, or how to attack, you know, their day-to-day -day life. Well, if there's one thing we learned today, it's definitely to ask the why and, <laughs> and to definitely ask uh, the reasoning behind things and why you're doing things and, and to be honestly self-aware, right? I think that's a big part of what, um, what you've brought to this podcast is a new perspective and uh, the power of data and that simple thing of asking why. So it's been really great to have you, Veselina. It's been wonderful learning about golf tech. I think uh, we've touched on a lot of really great topics and it'll be exciting to see how your career continues in food and ag. Thank you so much. Thank you, Alicia, for having me and for Tridge. Thank you. This podcast has been brought to you by Tridge, the leading global intelligence and networking platform for agriculture. Visit us at www.tridge.com to find out more.